Good morning and good coffee, everybody. Hey, it's time for some morning coffee with Larry, and I am glad that you are here to join with me today. It's still dark outside. We're getting into fall. Actually, fall's just a few days away. It's the 16th of September, 2020. Can you believe it? Oh, my. What are we going to do with a fall? What is fall going to bring us <laughs> this year? <laughs> Mmm, ah, the coffee's good and strong and black. Something to try to wake me up today. Oh, I had troubles last night. I just tossed and turned after I woke up at about two, so it's it's been a restless night since. <sighs> but I think I'll stay awake to make it through the podcast. Got to. Got to make the day count. Anyway, so... uh this morning, I was uh, walking into the office, and uh, I uh, was looking at my bookshelf, and there was a green book that was kind of sticking out there, standing out to me, and I thought, what in the world? And it had a library label on it. So I pulled it out, and it's a rebound book, hardback, and... Uh, as I as I look at it, it's like you know what this is. Uh, this is an old Effingham High School book, I think. And flipped into it, and uh, it had a stamp that said Effingham High School F- or High School Library, Effingham, Illinois. And the book is titled uh, "American Heritage: Carrier War in the Pacific." And I thought, where did I get this from? And then I remembered at some point in time, uh, it was either Aaron or Jesse, and I'm going to expect that it was probably Aaron. They were giving books away or selling books from the library that hadn't been read in a long time, you know, to make room for new books, and that this was available. And so I just kind of started to flip through it a little bit and thought, okay, this, this one is probably back a few years. Let's see when it was made. And so pulled up the copyright page here and it says 1966. Okay. And uh, it's uh, the editors of American Heritage, the magazine of history. Uh, So, you know, again, just kind of flipping through and it kind of had that, that old look from the 1960s and then talking about, um, World War II, and I thought, as I look back on the inner cover, it's like, oh, wow, this is old style. This is definitely old style because it had the card pocket. You remember back when you checked out a library book and it was before computers and there was a book card in it and you would you could look and see who had, who had read the book before and uh, because they had to sign their name and they would have a stamp that would say when the book was due back. And I thought, oh, cool, it still has the card in it too. So I, I was looking and I saw, as I pulled it out, at the very top it said bindery, uh, 530-84. So I'm taking it, that's when it was, it had been 
red enough or damaged enough on the cover, it was sent to a bindery to have a, a new hardback cover put on it. And uh, as I look, pulled out the card, it was like, holy cow, I know these people. <laughs> so uh, I need to do a little bit of shout outs. It's kind of, uh, kind of interesting here. Because the first names on this card, and this wouldn't have been, of course, the original card. Uh, because if, if the book is from 1966, the first time on this card it was checked out was January 2nd, 1980. And guess who checked it out? My classmate, Tim McMahon. And so he checked it out for apparently a couple of weeks. And then it was picked up by another classmate, Dean O'Leary. And he had it for apparently uh, a month because he checked it out twice. And if I remember right, you had him for two weeks. And And so that was in February. And then in March, Jim Porter, another classmate, checked it out. And then back on May 1st, but the next year, hadn't been checked out for over a year, Dean O'Leary checked it out again. He must have liked this book. (laughs) And then on October 1st, 1981, Tim McMahon, he read it. And uh, he then checked it out again two weeks later. And uh, there's a, there's a few others, but they weren't classmates. Um, but it looks like there were only one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight people over the course of ten years that checked out this book, which may be why it uh, it wound up being, uh, I don't know if discarded is the right word, but being removed from the library. But those first three guys must have really liked it, Uh, especially Tim and Dean checking it out several times. And, you know, you stop and think that's kind of cool just because, you know, that this book appeared and it got boxed up rather than thrown away and as when we moved. And then it got unboxed. And since I don't remember seeing this, I'm guessing that my wife must have uh, unloaded it and um, put it on um, my side of the bookshelves. <sighs> Pardon me. But you think, you know, here you got freshmen and sophomore in high school. And what are they looking for? Was it a school assignment that they were reading this? Was it because they were looking for adventure to read? You know, what was the reason for checking out this book on aircraft carriers during World War II? And, you know, there's, there's great history that was documented and detailed that just doesn't get taught in the same way like it used to. And I get it. 
I get it. Time moves forward. But the uh, that's where these books, you know, to me, are so important. And while I'll be the first to admit, a lot of times I look for a video if I want to learn something. Because it's quicker. It's more passive. It's a little bit easier. But... You know what? When you sit down and you read a book, there's it it goes at a slower pace. And what that allows you to do is put yourself where that's taking place, especially if it's telling a story, especially if it's telling adventure. You're there. You're using your imagination in an active way. And when you look at war stories, and again, not to glorify war, but to look at, appreciate, better understand, and use as inspiration uh, how people who lived through those times made it through those times. Let me just share with you one of the stories from this book that that I found. It was talking about the uh, USS Enterprise. And the Enterprise was a pretty amazing aircraft carrier. It, uh, it, uh, it had a very powerful history in World War II. Uh, one of the uh, people... Who were uh, who served? One of the sailors that served on the Enterprise actually started a car company, rental company. You know the one. They're called Enterprise, and he named it after his ship. Uh, there have been additional Enterprises. Of course, uh, it was borrowed for the movie Star Trek uh, with uh, with the. Uh, spaceship, uh, that isn't the term they used in it, but of Enterprise. And uh, let's see, wasn't it the first space shuttle to fly? It did not go into orbit, but it tested out the, the process for landing. I believe it was called Enterprise. Again, going back to the history of this ship. But let me read to you just a little bit. It's talking about the Enterprise, and on January, it says, Misfortune seemed to follow the task force. The ships were going to some of the southern islands uh, in the Pacific after the war had started, and I believe this is in 1942. Misfortune seemed to follow the task force. On January 16th, uh, for example, an explosion of a gun turret killed a sailor on the cruiser Salt Lake City. And a second man died in a landing accident aboard the Enterprise. That afternoon, a Devastator, which was a type of aircraft, failed to return from patrol duty. When search planes failed to locate any signs of the torpedo bomber, Hasley, who was the ship's captain, reluctantly marked the crew missing and presumed dead and ordered the task force to continue on. The three crewmen of the Devastator, however, were very much alive. 
Out of fuel and unable to locate the carrier, Chief Machinist Mate Harold Dixon had skillfully ditched the heavy plane into the ocean. Dixon, Bombardier Tony Pastula, and Gunner Gene Aldridge had just enough time to inflate their rubber life raft before the devastator sank. Their possessions included a penknife, a pistol, an empty water bottle, a length of rope, two pairs of pliers, and the clothes they wore. They had no food or water. Dixon estimated that the nearest land laid hundreds of miles to the southeast. Wise in the ways of navigation after 22 years in the Navy, he set course as best he could. With a favorable wind, they made 30 to 40 miles a day. When the wind was against them, Dixon held their position with a crude uh, sea anchor made from a life jacket and a rope. When there was no wind at all, they used their, pad- their shoes as paddles. The constant pounding of the waves on the four-foot-by-eight-foot raft almost drove the three men out of their minds. As Dixon described it, imagine doubling up on a tiny mattress with the strongest man you know striking the underside as hard as he could with a baseball bat twice every three seconds while someone else hurled buckets of cold salt water in your face. That's what it was like. As the days passed, the tortures of thirst, hunger, sun, and salt water strained the endurance of the, to their breaking point. Their only food was two fish, a small shark, two seabirds, all of which they killed with the gun or penknife and ate raw. The two coconuts that drifted near enough for them to reach. An occasional rain squall kept them from dying of thirst. Twice, storms capsized the raft. The 32nd day, they capsized again, losing everything. The raft now drifted aimlessly. The men hardly had the strength to move, and they fell into periods of delirium. At mid-morning on the 34th day, as the raft topped the crest of a wave, Aldridge exclaimed, Chief, I see a beautiful field of corn. Sure enough, Chief, I see it in the distance. A few hours later, the men staggered ashore, uh, Puka Puka, near the Society Islands, 750 miles from the spot where their plane had gone down. The next day, they were found by friendly natives who nursed them back to health. Later, they were rescued by a destroyer and taken to Pearl Harbor to be decorated for extraordinary heroism by Admiral Nimitz. You know, you read a story, and again, you get to use your own imagination and put yourself there. I think that, and many other stories in this book, may be the reason why my classmates kept rereading this book. And uh, I think I'm going to sit down and read it in its entirety. Because you know what? If it was good enough for, uh, uh, for Tim and Dean and Jim all those many years ago, 40 years ago, maybe it's worth checking out today. All right, everybody. That's it for me 
and I hope you have a great day. Take care. Bye-bye.